already. Good morning. Hey, I want to welcome you guys to Fairdale Christian Church. My name is Luke Davidson, as you guys just heard, and my wife Kathleen and I, we have five kids, and I've brought a picture because some of you might know me from back in the day. Others of you don't know me at all. So let me just quickly introduce you to my family. Uh, the boy girl in the front, that's Jack Henry and Hadley. They're twins, and they're 10 years old. They'll be 11 in August. And then on the far left is Walker. Walker is eight. And uh, if you know my older brother, if you knew my older brother, we feel like Walker just looks like him. He's got the really bright blonde hair. And so we, we love that he captures that a little bit. And then the guys in the little jumpsuits that look so comfy, I would love to wear them 24-7. But they don't make them big enough for me. But those little guys are Brooks and Ellis. That's our second set of twins. That's right. We have two sets of twins. We were excited about the first set of twins. Not, I mean, the second set of twins was a bit of a shock. It was like, oh my goodness, two more? We had three? We're going from three to five? That was, a big, that was a big difference. But anyway, we love our family and our home. We got a puppy, so this was like the puppy shot. That's Moses right there in the middle. And essentially, I always wanted to name one of our kids Moses, and my wife said, no, we're not naming our kid Moses. And I said, well, I'm going to name the dog Moses. And so that's, that's Moses right there. And, and we live in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area now, uh, but I grew up right here in Fairdale. My parents still live behind Fairdale Elementary in the same house that I grew up in, and uh, when I was really, really little, was right here at Fairdale Christian Church. In fact, this building I have seen go through so many iterations, as I'm sure you have, and if you're new around here, just appreciate what you've got. It looks amazing. Brandon and the team have done an amazing job here in this building. Um, when I was here as a real little kid, some of my earliest memories were in this church. I just, uh, if I try to think back to like the earliest memories that I have, a lot of them happened in this church building. And uh, one of them is, I don't know if it's funny, if, if, as much as it's just a core memory for me, is I remember one night we were here, and we would do that a lot. We would have like, I don't know if it was a, a rehearsal night, Maybe it was a night where we were having a Bible study. I don't know, because I was a pastor's kid, and I didn't care. I was just forced to go to church. And so this became my playground, this whole building. I loved being in this building and in the area. I used to crawl in and out of this triangle brick sign in front of the building. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, because some, some kid will try that. But I used to love to play in this building, and, and one night we were playing tag, me and some of my friends, and I ran down this central hallway, which used to be about half the size that it is now, and I was trying to get away from them so they couldn't tag me, and I was going to run through the door like you're going out to the gym now, except back then the door was dead bolted, because <laughs> this was before we realized you have to be able to get out of the building safely. And so I ran as hard as I could into that door, and bam, that door did not budge an inch. And I hit that door so hard, that door handle, the square door handle, who designed this door? I don't know. The square door handle hit my forehead, boom, had a huge goose egg bump on my forehead. And I remember I laid down here in the pews, there were pews back then, and I, until somebody laid me down here until I could see straight again, because I had been knocked 
into another dimension. I love thinking back to core memories and the things that we go through, some of them hurt, some of them are great, and we always can look back and be taken to old places. And I love going to old places because I feel like it always does something new in your heart and your mind. Um, maybe you have a place like that. Maybe your hometown. Maybe from around here. But if not, maybe when you go to your hometown, you can remember some things that really matter to you. And it starts to renew some things that maybe you once really cared about. And as you go through life, you might drift a little bit and you might rediscover things that you feel like, you know, this should, this should matter to me. When you go back places, places that are old, you can remember who's been there with you from the start. Sometimes you go back places that are old, maybe a house that you grew up in and it's not there anymore. And you see things that have changed and that can, that can be painful. But other times you can see changes that are really encouraging. And you say, man, look what God has done in this place. But even if you go back to a place that is familiar to you or to a people or even just a memory, maybe it's not a literal place, but it's a memory that you have or some emotional connection, you might even find sometimes that nothing has changed there. But when you look in the mirror, you realize a lot has changed in me. A lot has changed in you. Today I want to talk about a guy in the New Testament that took the people of Israel back to their roots. He took them back to their starting point, to their origin, so that God could then do something brand new in and through them. We're going to talk about one of the most famous guys in the New Testament. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was born an insider in his day and his age and his culture. Back then in Israel, those that were in power were the religious leaders and the priests. They ran the show. They had a lot of influence, power. They had a lot of control over what happened in the country. It just so happens that John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, was a priest directly descended from Aaron, the brother of Moses. And we read that one day he was serving in the temple, and it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, once when Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's dad, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Then we jump to verse 11, says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So we're kind of jumping into the story. We don't know that Zechariah has been praying fervently for God to do something. What is it that he's been praying for? Well, the angel goes on and says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Maybe you have been praying or have had a season in your life where you prayed fervently that God would give you a child. And so you can relate to what Zechariah and his wife are feeling in this moment. And how joy-filled it would be to get this declaration from an angel of the Lord, from Gabriel, that you will have a child. How would you react? Would you celebrate? Would you do some of the crazy gender reveal parties that they're doing today that start wildfires all across the West? Well, 
Let me tell you how Zechariah responded. He responded in doubt and in disbelief. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Makes me wonder if he had even prayed this prayer for 10 or 15 years. He was like, you know what? I just gave up on that prayer. But God had not given up on that prayer. God was still ready to answer that in his day, in his time. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. Zip it, he says, and not able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so Zechariah sort of stumbles out of the temple, unable to speak. He's a little bewildered. And the people around him, maybe the other priests, the fellow priests, they realize that he has seen a vision from God. He has heard from the Lord. And sure enough, it comes to pass, just as the angel said it would, that his wife became pregnant with the child. We skip ahead when the child is ready to be born. Everybody assumes that they will name him after his dad. They'll name the little baby Zechariah Jr., essentially. But his father, Zechariah, it says in verse 63, still unable to speak, that he, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Verse 66 says, everyone who heard this, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? And so we see that everybody from the very start had really high expectations for John the Baptist. At that time, he was just John. And they had high expectations for what he was going to do and what he was going to accomplish. He'd been born into this priesthood family. He had a direct lineage back to the original priests of the people of Israel. I mean, this is, a, this is an important person. He was set apart from birth, no wine, no drink, strict religious upbringing. Scripture says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Everybody had really high expectations for what he would do and what he would accomplish. But the next 20, 30 years of his life are largely a mystery. He just sort of drifted off of the map. He left Jerusalem, he left the temple, he left the priesthood track, and he just kind of went off on his own. And I wonder if there was a period of time in John's life where some people said about him, whatever happened to John? We had such high expectations for him. He had so much potential. Whatever happened to him? And I wonder if anybody has ever said that to you, about you. I wonder if you have ever looked in the mirror and said that about yourself. Like, whatever happened to me? I had so much potential. You had so much potential. Today, I hope, if nothing else, that you can start to rediscover that God has great potential for you and for your life. And it's not too late. And that you might today start to see something in yourself that you haven't seen for a while, maybe a long time. You are not a failure. You are not a mistake. And that might be all you needed to hear today. It might be all you needed to hear. We could just wrap this up and say, hey, you're not a mistake. You're not a failure. You know what you are? You are a child of God, dearly loved. 
And he has a great plan and purpose for you that far outlasts this life and this reality that you might feel like you're stuck in and the circumstances that maybe you're not happy with and the family dynamics that are off course and you feel like, man, this is, this is wrecked. No, it's not. Will you persevere through this? Will you see that God has potential in you that maybe you don't see in yourself right now? And you might have stopped praying a prayer 10 or 15 years ago, but God is still listening and ready to bring it through to completion. You have great potential in your life. John sort of drifted off the map for quite a few years, and he walked away from all of the things that we on paper would have said, hey, these are the things that set you up to do great things. He was in the right place, Jerusalem. He had a course to have the right job to be a priest, which I know that that might not mean as much to us today because we don't often think of religious leaders as those who are empowered governing the community and the nation. But religious leaders and priests back then, they had a lot of say. They, they could, some of them even became members of the Sanhedrin, the governing council of the people. It was like senators of their day. Not only that, but he, he had access to the temple and parts of the temple that most people could never even get into. He had a really prestigious track, and he threw off all of that. And this insider, John the Baptist, turned outsider. He turned outsider, threw off all of the things that are shiny and we feel like would be great. I mean, this would be like if you could live in New York City and work on Wall Street and just have great access to power and money and things. That might have been something similar to say he had a great career ahead of him. He threw off all of that and instead went and lived out in the desert wilderness, sort of a crazy existence. When we pick up reading about him, 20 or 30 years later, it says that he's preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan out to where he was preaching and teaching out in the wilderness. They're going out to see this roadside attraction. This crazy guy wearing a furry camel hair poncho eating bugs in the desert. Say, we got to go see this guy out there doing his thing. And I, I get the honey part of it. Do you guys like honey? I like honey. I put honey in coffee sometimes to sweeten it up. I put honey on bread. I mean, earlier this week, since we were in Kentucky, we're back at hometown stuff, we went out to Claudia Sanders. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you already know, they brought out the rolls. And I had to go buy honey from the gift shop. It was the most blasphemous thing that I have ever experienced. Because when I was a kid, you didn't have to buy honey. They gave you the honey and the butter, and you would mix it together and make the most delicious topping for the rolls. Come on now. What is going on? We have to buy honey in this place. I love honey. But locusts? I don't know about locusts. Have you ever eaten locusts? Have you ever eaten a giant grasshopper? We don't like bugs, do we? I came home from the office about a month ago, and my kids were like in the kitchen. It was the end of the day, and they're just happy. They're creating, they're drawing, they're doing whatever. And I was just kind of catching up with them from the day. 
And about that time, I asked my daughter and my other kids, did you clean your rooms today? We were just kind of following up. You were supposed to clean your rooms. Hadley's room, my daughter, was the craziest of the rooms. But she's so responsible. She's one girl in a household of four other boys. So you understand, she's like got some motherly instincts in her. So she's very responsible. I fully expected her to say, yes, I cleaned my room. I expected the boys to say, no, we didn't clean our room because we played Nintendo all day or something like that. I was going to have to be like, yes, you got to go clean your room right now. But instead, when I said, did you clean your room? My daughter Hadley, her face started to turn red Tears welled up in her eyes, and she was so ashamed because, no, she had not cleaned her room. And I was kind of shocked. I said, Hadley, why didn't you go clean your room? And she said, because there's a bug in my room. <laughs> and she cried, and she was terrified. And just having turned from such joy to such terror because the bug could be anywhere in her room. And so I laughed, and I said, honey, we'll go find the bug. I could not find the bug because her room was so dirty, so it might still be in there. I don't know. But we don't like bugs, do we? And yet, that seems to be what John the Baptist ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He ate bugs. And turns out you can too. I've got a little special thing for us today. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, did you know that biblicalprotein.com <laughs> sells a ready-to-eat locust and honey kit? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> here's, here's, uh, here's the description. A delicious and mild neutral flavor. Do you believe that for an instant? Sourced directly from the banks of the Jordan River, which is where John the Baptist probably ate locusts right there. A modern-day biblical experience that you will never forget. How could we pass up this opportunity today to have a modern-day biblical experience that you will never forget. So uh, <clears throat> I got a little dish here with some locusts and honey. I put a little dab of honey on there, and I'm going to eat one of these. But I also would love to have a volunteer come up here because I want it to be a communal experience. I mean, John didn't just go out into the wilderness by himself. He called people out to give their lives to Christ. Do I, is there anybody in here that would volunteer? Right here. I saw a hand. Come on up here, buddy. He thought it was him. He's like, no, 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 ain't no way I'm coming up here. Yes, come on up, come on up. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Come over here with me. Okay. Is that a locust? That definitely looks like a locust. I think he's dead. Anybody want to validate that this is the real deal? Okay. Are you ready to do this? All right, there you go. I got a little, a little dab of honey on there for you. Ready? We'll do this on three. Let's do it on three. We've got to build the tension a little bit with everybody. Okay. Locust and honey. We're, you're like John the Baptist today. Uh, <laughs> All right. Here we go. One, two, three. Slow the flames and the honey starts kicking in. Yeah. The honey helps a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Can you put your hands together? You're my friend here. A modern-day biblical experience that you will... Never forget. And I, I do that because I don't think people ever forgot when they went out to see John the Baptist either. I don't think they forgot it. I, thought, I think they went out to see this freak show, this crazy guy out in the desert eating bugs. And they said, we got to go see this guy. And they get out there, 
and they start to piece the puzzle together. And they say, this guy's dad was a priest. He could have been a priest. He could have been in the temple. He could have been in Jerusalem. He could have been in power. Why did he leave all of this stuff to come live out in the desert to live a crusty existence eating bugs in the desert? And I'll tell you why. I think it was a deliberate break from society that drove John the Baptist out into the wilderness. He wanted a break from the norm. It might have been other people's dream for him to rise to prominence as a priest in the temple. It was not his dream. It was not God's calling on his life. Because John wasn't just an insider turned outsider. John the Baptist was an upsetter. And he upset the cultural norms of his day and his age and his time. His attitude toward the, the, toward the established order, toward those who were in charge, was radical condemnation. He called them out for the things that they did, the abuse of power. He called them out. At the end of John the Baptist's life, he was arrested and beheaded because he called out the king. He upset the cultural norms. When the religious leaders and priests would come out to where he was preaching and teaching, he called them a brood of vipers. You know, you would think that a guy that grew up surrounded by priests and stuff, that he would have some familiarity and some love and like, hey, hey, what's up, brother? I remember growing up with you. But I guess he got to see behind the curtain a little bit and he saw some things that he said, this is not godly. We are not trying to save what has been. We got to get outside of all of this and start something new, something fresh. And so he did things completely different. Instead of choosing the temple, he went to the river. Instead of calling people to rituals, he called the people to repentance, which means a change of heart, a change of mind. So we can't just keep trying to do sacrifices to make up for the things we've done wrong. We've got to change in our hearts and our minds. Instead of sacrifices, you know what he called them to? He called them to baptism, be baptized. And the way that he did baptism was different than anybody had ever done baptism before. Because if you go to Israel today, you can see some old uh, ruins of homes and things of the wealthy. They have little baptistries in their basement because multiple times a day they would go down and they would rinse themselves. As people would approach the temple, they had little basins where they would wash their hands. They would baptize their hands in order to ascend up to the temple to try to cleanse themselves. And John said, we're not going to do this thing anymore where you just continually cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. We need a once for all time entry into the kingdom of God and you got to change your life. From this point forward, we cannot stay in the old order of things. God is doing something new. Prepare your hearts for the coming king who is doing a radical new thing from this point forward. You have to change. And I'm telling you, if John the Baptist were here today, he would tell you the same thing. He would say, you think because you go to church that you are a good person? No. It must show in the things that you do. He called people to do the things in keeping with repentance. Are you doing the things in keeping with following Jesus? You think because you grew up in a Christian household or a Christian 
denomination or tradition that you're going to heaven. That is not what Scripture says. You must have a heartfelt turn in your heart and your life. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. And then in verse 11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He, he's talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So prepare yourselves for the coming new king who will do everything new. And then it says in verse 6, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And I just try to envision what was that like? What was it like to stand up on the banks of the river and to watch people walk down into the water and to offload the burden of sin and guilt that they had been carrying for a long time? Did they just say it out loud? Did they just stand next to John and just say their sin? And did the community up on the banks of the river respond and say, we forgive you? Oh my goodness. Can you, can you go there with me emotionally and mentally for a moment? We read that tax collectors came and got into that water with John. And tax collectors were hated back, there, back then because, because they way overtaxed people. And nobody's ever liked paying taxes. But when you're getting way overtaxed, you really start to resent the people that are collecting those taxes and filling their pockets with the extra money. The tax collectors were hated. And yet we read that they came to where John was. Did they walk down in that water and they say, guys, I have totally exploited you. I have taken way too much money. I am sorry. I'm going to give what I have extra. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to, I'm going to start to live differently. Please forgive me. And then the people on the banks of the shore say, we forgive you. And they're baptized. We know that soldiers came, Roman soldiers came to where John was preaching and teaching. Romans were, were first-class citizens, and they treated the Jewish people like they were second-class citizens, like they were animals, like they were dogs. And do the soldiers go down in the water and say, guys, I have hurt people. I have abused the community. I have... I don't know, planted evidence. I have done bad things. Please forgive me. I want to start new and fresh. And the community says, we forgive you. I wonder what you would say if you had got down in that water next to John the Baptist with the community up on the banks of the river around you. What would you say? If you could really be true and honest and think maybe God could do something new. Because a lot of times we just think I'm stuck in this old place. Nothing new can happen. But what if it could? And you could say, I have been lying to, I've been lying to my spouse. I have not been honest. Please forgive me. And they tell the truth. And then your spouse is up on the banks of the river and says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Guys, that's different. Or you stand in that water and you say, hey, I've been, I've been doing stuff behind my boss's back at work. And I know it's not right. It's been weighing heavily on me. Or maybe you stand in that water and you say, um, listen, I have been holding on to a grudge of unforgiveness for 20 years of my life. And it is eating me alive. 
Or maybe you say, I've been living in sexual sin. I've been hiding this. And I know that I need to move. I need to, I need to move out. I need to get out of this relationship. I need to stop returning to this website or whatever it is. Please forgive me. And instead of condemnation, the community looks down and says, we forgive you. Let's start over. Let's start over. Oh, my goodness, guys. That was radically different than the culture in that day and age. And honestly, in the culture in most places to this day, every single one of us could stand in the water and say, I've messed up. I have sinned. God, please forgive me. Please change me. Please. I'm trying to repent, but I can't change unless you change me, God. And it says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River which is how he got his nickname, the baptizer, because John's a really common name. We see the name John all throughout the New Testament, don't we? But what makes it iconic, what sets his name apart is the baptizer part of his name. John the Baptist. Suddenly a common name becomes an iconic name. And you've got all sorts of nicknames. Maybe you've got a nickname. There's a lot of nicknames that have the word the in the nickname, aren't there? Alexander the... Great. Yeah, okay, you got it. Ivan the terrible good. Okay, Jabba the <laughs> I just had to, I just had to throw Jabba the Hutt in there. Iconic. Iconic. And what made John the Baptist iconic is that he baptized in a way that had not really been done before. And so I just want to take a sidestep for a moment and, and just give you another talking point and say, let's let's be known for what you do. Be known for what you do. And uh, I say this with a little caution because some, of, some people are known for doing really bad things, and that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about the negative side of this, but I am talking about be known for, for the positive things. Be known for doing things that are Christ-like. Be, be renowned for Christ-like things. Be known for what you do. And I tell you that because so often Christians are known for what we don't do. We're known for what we don't do. People just have this perception that Christians are hypocrites, that we say we follow Jesus, but we don't actually do the things he says. So I want, I want, to just, I want you to walk out of here today knowing that John the Baptist called people to be known for what you do. He would say, hey, if you got two coats, then give one of the extra ones to somebody that doesn't have a coat. That's what it meant for him to live in keeping with repentance, to produce fruit. Be known for what you do. Let me ask you this. Do your kids, do your grandkids, if you have them, do they know you as a person that prays? Do they ever even see that? Do they ever see you doing that? And not just like at mealtime or something like that. Do, do your kids ever like come down a little too early in the morning and, oh, they caught me. I'm down here early reading my Bible and praying. So simple. Do they know you? Do they say, Daddy's a person that prays? Grandpa prays. Do your kids, do your grandkids, do they know you as somebody that gives financially to support the work of this church or to support things in the community? Do they ever even see that? I mean, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do they ever, do they ever see you do the things that a follower of Jesus does? I remember when I was really little, um, on the way into church, my grandpa would put some quarters in my hand or a couple dollars. And he'd say, hey, make sure you put that in the generosity box today. Make sure you put that in the offering. It always stuck with me because I knew it mattered to him that grandpa gave and he wanted me to give too. 
It's the simple things to be known for what you do. Do your neighbors know you as the person who would make a meal and take it to the single mom when she's having a really stressed out week or would help her take her kids to school just to relieve some of the pressure? Do your neighbors know you as that person? Or do they say, you know, that person goes to church, but I never see him do anything that Jesus said to do. Jesus once asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Be known for what you do. John the Baptist said it this way, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 9, he said, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So you gotta, you got to live a total new life when you come into the kingdom of heaven, when you become a follower of Jesus. See, John treated baptism different. He didn't treat it like it was just something that took care of your past sins again and again. Like every time I mess up, i got to get baptized again. That's not how he treated it. And, and, but sometimes we live this life to think, hey, I messed up, i got to say this prayer. Hey, I messed up, i got to go, you know, that, like this ritualistic thing that we can just get caught into. John the Baptist treated baptism like it was a one-time entrance into a whole new life. You're now a citizen of a brand new kingdom. You have now become a part of something that, it, that defines your entire existence. The Jesus movement. You're now in the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to encourage you to let that sort of repetitiveness of just fall off of you and just realize, I am a child of God. I am a part of this. And if you have never entered into the kingdom of heaven, then what are you waiting for? Become a part of this thing. Make a change. Turn. And people came to John the Baptist with that sort of conviction. To say, I can't live this old life anymore. i got to live a total new life, and I want to be a part of a completely new thing. I don't even want this old thing anymore. I want to be a part of something new. And it says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And as I was studying this, this caught my attention more than it ever had before. And I was just trying to chew on this and say, God, what are you doing in my heart and my mind with this place? I love, and as I continue to think about it, I love that John took them out to the Jordan River. I love that he said, we're not going to do this in the temple. We're not going to go to the high places. We're not going to go to the major city. We're going to go out to the Jordan River. And if you don't know this, the Jordan River was the starting point for the people of Israel. It was, it was like the, the boundary line for many of them when they crossed into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River. They made a memorial of stones there that they might not forget the goodness of God who brought them out of slavery through the wilderness and gave them a land of milk and honey and apparently locusts as well. And he took them out to the Jordan River and said, let's get back to the start. We got to start over. You got to start over. And you can God is doing a new thing in Jesus, and he can do a new thing in you. And so John took him out to the Jordan River. I just latched on to this saying, and I hope that it ministers to some of you. I think that sometimes God might take you someplace old to start something new. And maybe it's a literal place, and maybe it's simply a place of reflection. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a conviction that you had when you were 20, when you were 25, when you were 12. Maybe it's a decision that you made when you were at camp. And then the years go by and you kind of lost track of it. 
I hope that maybe God takes you somewhere old today to start something new in your heart and in your mind. I guess it was like two months ago, my oldest son, Jack Henry, he's 10. And what is number one in my 10-year-old boy's heart is basketball. What's number two in his heart? Probably pizza. You know where I'm at. So he goes to stay the night with his best friend, Kingston. They're going to stay the night, and they're going to CeCe's Pizza Buffet. Y'all know CeCe's Pizza Buffet? I mean, that's like, you talk about, if you like pizza, that's, that's like Mecca. You just eat as much pizza as you want. So I was excited for him to go have this great time with his friend and eat pizza. He came back home the next day. I said, buddy, did you have a great time? Yeah, I had a great time. I said, did you love the pizza? Did you eat a lot of pizza? And he said, I like salad. I said, salad? He went to CeCe's Pizza Buffet, and they have salad there. I did not know they even had salad at CeCe's Pizza Buffet, and I could never get this kid to eat salad before, but he goes to CeCe's Pizza Buffet with his best friend on an overnight sleepover, and he comes home, and now he likes salad. God works in mysterious ways. I could never have planned that. And I just have noticed that sometimes in life, God might take you back to the same old place, and every once in a while, he'll do a brand new thing and give you a total new appetite and a new desire and say, you know what? I used to crave this. I used to be in this cycle. I used to be a part of this, but no more. Maybe you or someone you know has woken up after doing the same thing again that you said you were never going to do. And in the moment, it feels great. And you wake up the next morning and it feels awful. And you look yourself in the mirror and you're at that same old place. But this time is different. You say, God, I got to make a change. Would you please change me from this point forward? So all I want to do today as we close is invite you to go to an old place and ask God to do something new. And maybe God's taking you right now to a memory of the place of betrayal and he's inviting you to do something new, to forgive. Say, I've never thought about forgiving them before. They don't deserve it. Yeah, I know they don't deserve it. But Jesus already paid the price, the one-time death for our sin. He does not need to die again. On the cross, he said, it is fulfilled, it is finished. So maybe instead of trying to pay the price and make others pay the price, you could start to lean into a place of forgiveness in a new way that you haven't before. And maybe God's taking you right now to think about that old habit. It's been a part of your life for a long, long time, but it's still present in your life. But something's different today. You're thinking, you know what? I think, number one, that you ought to forgive yourself because you don't have to carry the guilt and shame of what you've done. Jesus already did that for you. So what if you were to forgive yourself and to realize God loves you just the way you are? but he also loves you way too much to leave you that way. What if you could go back and he could start something new? So we're just going to close today. I'm going to pray. And if you want to come forward and receive prayer from somebody, if you just want to come forward personally and just post up here at the front of the stage and have a personal moment of prayer, if you want to stay right where you are, my ask for you is that you would just have a personal moment with God 
that you would let him take you back, that you would see what it is that happened, that you did, that was done to you, that you might confess it either to somebody else or to God, and that with your heart you would say, God, please change me by the power of Jesus. Let's do that. Let's just stand, and then after I pray, if you want to respond however you would like to respond, I encourage you to do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the faithfulness of the ministry here. And I pray that you would continually do new things, that there would be transformation, that there would be people that have been walking in disappointment and pain who would experience renewal, hope, and potential in their lives for the first time by your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.